This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. D20 Radio, your gamer's role. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. I am your host, Josh Heath. Today, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Terry Robinson from the Mage the Podcast world. I think this is the first time Terry has come on Werewolf the Podcast. And if it isn't, I'm sorry for forgetting you coming on last time. But Terry, how are you today? I'm perfectly fine. I was thrilled to crack open a werewolf book and I felt immediately at home because it contained lists of things um, and they were weird places and there were a bunch of things throughout that are like, yep, mages can do this. They're weird. Don't deal with them. And I'm like, okay, werewolf understands mage, but I am otherwise fine. I was excited to read a book with slightly different artists and slightly different layout tendencies. And it was, it was good, clean fun except for the atrocity realm that was dirty fun yeah yeah. there are a couple of moments in that we'll get to that anyway so as we do with these reviews we just kind of rumble through the book and and talk about various things so uh we will rumble and see where we get to the first thing that i want to mention about this book is that i this is one of my few original werewolf books i got this when it came out and It has been in my possession since I purchased it from the store, and now it still lives with me 20-some-odd years later. This, to me, this book and books in this same time space are what I think of when I think of the World of Darkness. This late second edition, early revised era is, to me, the golden age of the World of Darkness. I recognize that's not always true for everybody, but when I re- came back to this book, I realized, ah, yes, this is why I view this as that golden age. So we're going to start at the cover. And Carrie's going to yell at me because I'm starting at the cover for once and not with her on the line. But I'm going to start with the cover. Umbra is trademarked. I don't know if you can trademark Umbra, but it is trademarked. And Overall, the cover image has absolutely nothing to do with anything inside this sto- the inside this book whatsoever. But I actually really like the cover. I think it's really nice. Terry, what are your thoughts on the cover? I like the fact that we finally get a depiction of a um, of a Toftani mage with a two point wonder using Spirit Three um, at what appears to be a node. So this cover made perfect sense to me. But otherwise, it's Rebecca Gray, like. I'm not going to say no to that, but it's also kind of one of those weird things where it's like, this is werewolf. Everything will be rent asunder. The rest of this book is probably going to be like Richard Kane Ferguson 
RK post, not RK post and um, Ron Spencer. Let's, mm-hmm. let's lull them into a false sense of security with some watercolors. And it gave that um, it's, it's a pretty color cover, but yeah, it doesn't seem to be related to what's on the inside. It, it might be a silent strider with a fetish uh, with a, a clave. It could be, but that's a stretch. I think um, it is nice, but that's about it. So this was written in the year 2001 or it was published in the year 2001 and written by brian campbell and rob hatch and developed by ethan skemp incidentally this has very few artists and i like that so i can read the artist people it has ron brown richard kane ferguson jeff holt and ron spencer with a cover art by rebecca gway as terry already mentioned so it's Split into four chapters, um, chapter one being the cosmology of the Umbra, chapter two being specific realms that are referenced in the Umbra, chapter three being about spirits, giving you stats and things like that that you would need for various worm, wild weaver spirits and the various spirits from the realms that get referenced. And then chapter four is storytelling in the Umbra. And then the most important part of the book, the appendix which is odd for me. I actually think for once that the, hey, random gifts and assortment things is probably the most important thing in here, but several of them get referenced regularly throughout the book in different places. So I actually think it's really useful to have that in one place, but I'm of two minds with with those sorts of things. Sometimes it's good to have the stats in the area where they're talking about them. You know, you can go either way. But yeah, one, one of the feelings I got from this book is that by deconstructing it into the cosmology, the places, the spirits, and the stories that sometimes it failed to integrate all of those bits. And it would have been nice in some places to be like, here's a thing here, this guy we're describing, here are their stats. This is the gift that they can give to you. Um, As opposed to kind of having those at, at right angles to one another. There are a bunch of places where it's like, okay, cool. What do I do with this system wise? Um, but you, you got to organize it somehow and you can either make it good at location or you can make it good at cross section and you, you cannot sadly optimize for both. For sure. And I actually think largely this book makes sense the way it is laid out. It's just a choice. You know, mm-hmm. it's a choice that I could have, they could have gone the other way and I would have been like, all right, I follow. I'm fine with that. And I think there is no determination of better or worse with that. But the cosmology section, chapter one, starts off with like awesome art, Ron Spencer art that I actually really like. Um, people know I'm not a huge fan of Ron Spencer art, but this is not a werewolf eviscerating something. It is Gaia and a stargazer in the Umbra. And I absolutely adore this piece. And I wish we had more pieces like this from Ron Spencer. So what are your thoughts generally on chapter one, just this overview of the cosmology and this description of the penumbra, the middle umbra, the umbras, all the umbras in general, how do you feel about what we've got here? So my overview of it was something like a while ago, there was one layer to reality. All of creation is the Tellurian. Even the umbra has laws. Um, the further away you are from Earth, the less those laws are Earth-like and more conceptual. The penumbra is the closest realm. It is the shadow of Earth. It is where cubs usually go and 
initially they use it as like a synecdoche for the umbra. Uh, Gaia is most keenly felt in the is more keenly felt in the penumbra. The moon is always visible. Sunlight is diffuse. The stars are generally visible. It specifically notes that vampires cannot escape the sun in the umbra. So I'm glad I'm glad that's in the world of darkness somewhere because the umbra is just a massive fu to vampires. Every like everyone else gets to go to a cool place. Everyone gets a cool ass treehouse except, except for, for the them. vampires. And yep. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, so, um, it mentions specifically that you must either eat food that is in some way special or consume gnosis, or you can starve and turn into a spirit and disconnection can occur. This is a phenomenon I know in mage and it talks about the perils of staying there too long. And I'm used to looking at it in mage and I'm like, oh man, how can a werewolf be in there? A mage can only be there in 90 days. And it's like, after 10 years, you're pretty much boned. And I'm like, screw you buddy it's like finding out you're like yeah i can hold my breath for three minutes and then you have a friend that's a dolphin and they're just like yeah i could be down there for a month and a half and you're like show off <laughs> right um so um it also makes mention that the umbra is not a is another way to see things it is not a gem of true sight it will not show you if someone is evil people are only there in very vague outlines and so on um, that the threats you face there may change and you can use a gnosis role to uh, kind of adapt to it. It talks about the relationship between the penumbra and reality and how they influence one another. I would have liked a little bit more information on that. Like it talks about how a penumbral door that you repeatedly bash through in reality, the door will slowly get creaky and rusty, which is a neat thing. Um, maybe a little bit more, uh, system on that it mentions that werewolf have the power to uh direct devotion at objects which is what allows them to awaken in the umbra mortals to a very lesser extent can do this so people who are highly regarded positively or negatively will have some sort of uh, umbral reflection so uh, a beloved teacher or a hated boss will both be wispy outlines in the penumbra uh, crossing repeatedly will a increased difficulty as the weaver notices and mm -hmm. i like the fact that it gives both a a narrative and kind of a systematic way to talk about it and yo this is why you can't just be be going jumping back and forth it makes mention to a bunch of other places it talks about how there may be a higher umbra that there is a shadow land that other planets have penumbra and i like the fact that this largely agrees with what mage says it's nice when games kind of agree it, it differs in some other places but i like that it talks about uh stepping sideways about normally use a mirror reflective object but people have different notions of what that is and i found this very flavorful that people have a preferred way of doing it and that botches when stepping sideways tend to follow you around mm -hmm. i very much like that idea where it's like whoa like uh, botching stepping sideways is one of those annoying cases like um where you suddenly can wind up in a story that you didn't want to have and directing that to being like It'll bother you for a while in a small, annoying way, rather than, ah, oh, Weaver's got you. You're stuck there forever now. You're like, okay, we don't get to, we don't get to play a game tonight now. Um, I like the idea that botches are more uh, persistent annoyances th than anything else. Um, 
we get information on all the other places and it is thorough in the sense that it, it talks about the soft umbra, which is a wonderful term that I had never heard before, which implies a harder turgid umbra, which I kind of want to go to, or maybe that's what the Baldor pleasure dome is who knows. And um, also refers to it as the periphery um, between the earth and the penumbra. It's a state of mind where chimmerlings and epifflings can be found. They talk about how the near umbra is kind of the, the true battleground of belief. And it is a string of realms around the earth. The thing that I find interesting is we get no description of the like the near middle umbra itself. It's like it is formless chaos that you can wander to. And you're like, oh, okay. Then how do I get from realm to? <laughs> am I supposed to? I didn't know if I was ever supposed to be in there during a game. Um, we're also introduced to another key idea, which is the idea of the Isling or the spirit quest, where to go from one place to another, your totem may reveal itself and say, hey, this is what you got to do to do this thing. So to do your quest, here's the quest you have to do. Um, there are other ways of getting around that talks about different ways that you can literally climb from area that different realms are um, occupied by different things. But I mean, when I say it is thorough, it's like, oh, there are special realms caused when moon paths cross each other. Uh, epiphs are a single idea lost in the deep umbra. Sub realms are near realms. Uh, zones also exist. There are temporal realms. We're not entirely sure what they are. So, uh, have fun there and then it just keeps going where it's like yep there's malpheus the pattern web there's the deep umbra you can use the null zone to get around so you it's it's got everything um so it also makes mention of the shadowlands and how to get there so i like the degree to which it mentions stuff it doesn't a lot of it will never be covered in detail so um so have fun with that but it kind of establishes the idea that a a driven werewolf can kind of go anywhere and since werewolves don't really have like a, a set of get there real good charms that you have stepping sideways and a few very specialized other things that it talks a lot about here are ways of getting around as opposed to necessarily talking about the relationships between places uh in terms of space it talks about them in terms of transit it's more mm -hmm. of a transit map than anything else and i i like that approach uh it's it's a lot of stuff i'm curious how many werewolf players go to the shadowlands but is there if you want it I think what I like about all of that is it really does give you everything you would possibly need. And the mm -hmm. Umbra is such an essential element to 99% of werewolf games that I've played or run that having this much detail reminded me why I've always kind of uh, focused on it and included so many of these things because they are so super important. The idea of the null zone gets referenced here in this chapter and then again and then again like this idea these ideas permeate this book throughout and nothing is really ever just left and then discarded as a concept it is generally presented and then retread in a way that like hey this is how that thing works in this particular realm this is how belief has an impact in different things that you do in the different uh, near realms that you go to. So there's lots of these elements here where this really becomes, to me, essential storyteller elements. And a lot of this book, I would also say a player should probably understand it if their character has been an umbral traveler at all. If you're playing a character that's a, a cub and has no understanding of the umbra fine you don't need to ever put your eyes on this book but having it and really understanding it 
I think is really helpful when you are a character that has any umbralness in their background to be able to describe, this is how I'm going to interact with it. This is my experiences with, say, the Shadowlands. If you're playing a Silent Strider or something like that, it's not unlikely that you will end up in the Shadowlands at some point. It is also possible to end up in the Shadowlands by accidentally getting caught in the um, in the Shadow Curtain brain. Um, shroud. The, the Shroud, thank you. Um, which is great. Like, that is an interesting thing. Like, you could be stepping sideways and uh, end up in the wrong side and have that. The impacts of that, what would that do to you? How do you get out? Becomes potentially a great story if you're not just one player accidentally getting stuck and then, you know, everyone else is like, well, you're gone now in your own private story. Um, but this last the chapter ends with something that I really appreciate is that what are these little auspices uh, views of the, the Umbra? Like how do uh, average Dragabash think about the Umbra? How does the average Arun think about the Umbra? I think this is really helpful that I would hand this to a player that is a specific auspice that is an umbral traveler and say, this is one opinion that you've heard about your auspice in the Umbra, um, which I find valuable. So there's lots in this chapter that's good. Yeah, I like the quick rundown where they're like, Theurge, everyone will expect you to know everything. You won't. Philodox, actions have consequences. That is fundamentally what physical laws are. Your goal should be to figure them out. The Galliard, to remember and to recant the tales of what has gone before and use that as guidance. The Arun, to show strength and to be unchallenged. And the Ragavash, steal shit. And it's like, <laughs> like one of these things is not like the other. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting though that one of the things it tries to reinforce is that as powerful as a werewolf can be in the umbra you can still be crushed mm -hmm. there is the notion that in meat space if it's kind of one dude against kind of one dude a sufficiently prepared um werewolf should be okay or can at least run away unless they're literally going up against like a tank or an atlas unit or something redonk like that but in the Umbra, like there's a lot more headspace for things to come out of nowhere and crush you. So one of the things that the Umbra does is it very much changes the power scale. There's always something uh, bigger than you. And uh, even if you kill it now, it'll probably come back in a couple weeks and it'll be real mad at you. And it's yep. got friends. Yep. And uh, it's nice when a game can function at different power scales like that and for uh, a lot of the world of darkness games that is something that the umber provides and i think it is true that in werewolf often when you get to higher ranks the umbral quest becomes much more of a thing for you to do because you are no longer challenged by the things that you will face on the uh, the earth uh, on gaia herself i like that they also provide multiple terminologies for how do we refer to the real world versus the spirit world the werewolves don't necessarily agree on that and i like that from a storytelling perspective where there might be some discussions of it but there is also opportunity in this book to take things that are in the umbra and really like twist them and ground them back into the real world as challenges for you in different ways so I think it's interesting to look at this as a late game tool, but also as a opportunity for bringing in umbral elements throughout the life cycle of a game 
throughout the experiences that you're going to have, as well as having challenges in the earth itself and how that sort of plays out. But that's just storytelling advice, I think. Let's get into chapter two, because I'm rushing ahead, but you did a good job of encapsulating the majority of chapter one. Uh, providing summaries is kind of a reflex of mine at yeah. some point. Uh, I've had it happen at work where someone's like, well, what did you think of the report? I'm like, well, section one outlines blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, Terry, we wrote the report. We know that. I'm like, but there's a way these episodes go. And they're like, what do you mean by episode? Um, and then it turns out I'm in an empty building and I haven't been employed for seven years. We're all inside of a snow globe. We're all part of the um, Tommy Westfall universe. As you mentioned, chapter two is is the realms. I like that it opened with a note that says all realms are defined by something, but no realm has a monopoly on anything. Mm -hmm. Atrocities exist outside of the atrocity realm. Despair exists outside of the abyss. I also like that it introduces the idea that realms can kind of bleed into one another. Yes. We have the idea that um, uh, what realm has the wall in it? That is in the atrocity realm. Okay. And and that is a bit where the low umber has seeped into it, mm -hmm. which is an idea we get in Mage in precisely one book where it is never mentioned again. Thanks, Revised. So, um, and this does it in a couple places. And I like it. Yes, because Rob Hatch had just come off of working on Ends of Empire for mm -hmm. Wraith, I, I believe. And uh, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I know that Ends of Empire had just happened from a book publishing standpoint and the idea of what happens to the wraiths that got swept out by the uh, great maelstrom the last great maelstrom this book is like oh we're going to try to find spaces for you to use some wraith elements if you want to in your werewolf game i actually don't love it but it is here if that's something you do like that they kind of regularly reference like Wraiths got swept to this place, and now they're having to deal with existing in this spot. Among the realms, did you have a favorite or a few that stuck out to you? So I, this is what I want to say about the realms first, is that some of these are, in my opinion, redundant. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are bad. It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't use them as separate things. But um, the legendary realm, the summer country... And some of the tribal realms really, in a lot of ways, are they overlap in concept. Pangea, uh, all of those three in particular really overlap in concept of being like memories of foregone things that do different things, one could argue. But I find it, if I'm going to use something like one or the other of them, I'm probably going to lump them all together in mm -hmm. one way or another, as opposed to having them be separate things. Uh, that said, my favorite one is the Arcadia Gateway because it is weird. It is changeling aspected, which I think is interesting for werewolves to interact with. Like, how would they interact with um, the Fae when they're a much stronger force in this particular realm? I think there's some interesting stories in here about the Seelie and Unseelie, but it's, this is a Garou view of what you get in Changeling the Dreaming. This is not Changeling the Dreaming. This is... It, it is a Garou view of the human memory of what 
the changelings were exactly so <laughs> right so if you're coming at this from a changeling perspective you're going to be like what is all of this nonsense it's not you could make it match with changing the dreaming but it doesn't necessarily line up one for one it is a great opportunity to run alice in wonderland in werewolf this would be the location to do something like that I like the idea that it gives another supernatural lines notion of um, honor, glory, renown, wisdom, and it gives you these interesting parallels, in my opinion, to be like, what is the difference between Narun and a Seely Knight? Um, do they recognize each other as kind of doing the same thing, but for different bosses? Um, the potential for parallels there, the idea of being defined by your nature um, as seely or unseely, the fact that there is a a warm summer place that is slowly receding. It, it, it is this wonderful reminder in Werewolf that the um, the fighting is vicious because the, the, the differences are so small, the, the narcissism of minor differences, mm -hmm. and putting it through the lens of another supernatural type I think is interesting. It also allows you to play with myth and archetype in a certain way. Like yes. throughout Werewolf, concepts are people, um, and they are fundamentally expressed as people um mm -hmm. where you have banes and banes are a type of people um in the same way that rocks can be a type of people in in kind of a more animist view of things and each of these elements of reality have a different kind of people um what these realms do is they then translate that into a place and that's not something that werewolf always has and that's kind of what these near realms provide um it also gives a lot more space for symbolism because in the rest of the umbra you can talk to a thing and be like what do you mean and the thing can literally like describe itself to you or what mm -hmm. have you but in these realms you do have to rely on um on symbolism and suddenly enigma roles become a lot more important and you don't just have the ability to go hey hey what's going on here um the mechanic they use for this or the uh the typography they use is the idea of emanations not quite spirits and not quite a place but just the general spirit stuff required to embody the entities to act out whatever the dink a realm does um and emanations is a class of things that even other spirits are like i don't quite get what they are <laughs> i think is uh i think is pretty neat the uh the, the roman road that connects throughout arcadia the fact yes. that mm -hmm. once a day a steam conveyance comes through that we have the the dark castle ruled over by this bad version of mab the fact that um you can leave to the dream realms or arcadia but the gate to arcadia is shut as kind of that echo i like i don't know if in changeling we ever get to see the changeling view of the arcadian gateway but i hope it's kind of one of those versions of somebody uh, hearing a story in elementary school about uh, something that happened to the pilgrims and be like, well, my people tell a slightly different story. Uh, these right. do not match. We right. need to compare notes at some point and everyone's going to be a little uncomfortable. Um, if that's not a session of werewolf, I don't know what is. I haven't played a lot of werewolf. But that could um, definitely be a session yes. of werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Alphabetically, I was very fond of the Ethereum realm um, because the sheer amount of creativity it listed in ways of getting to it yes where you could go on the top of a building and just flap your wings or create a a, a catapult to launch you upward or train hundreds of birds um or learn a special gift that launches you skyward into this realm where the uh the dome of the sky and the clouds are solid 
um the fact that helios is pre- protected by this wall of fire elementals um and that beyond the sun and the moon we have the uh, the realms of the planets and then beyond that the shenti which start infecting it the 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 realm specifically of the weaver wild and worm each planetary realm has its own geography and one of the recurring things we get are seps that have located there to do something and kind of the way in which all of them have lost touch with what's happening on the mundane side of reality almost all of them are cautionary tales in Mm -hmm. some way shape or form where it's like yeah they know a thing and they think they've figured something out but they really haven't that's like someone saying you know what's fun drinking you know what i'm going to try and do stay drunk all the time (laughs) it's a nice place to visit you can't live there right (laughs) so this is how this is how we develop dependencies i know we didn't talk about it but i love some of the systematic descriptors that they have for some of the other realms like for instance in the abyss uh navigating is difficulty 10 minus your rage i like the idea that you're so mad at the nothingness that you know where you are (laughs) mostly because i don't have a good sense of what rage actually is um so (laughs) but it's like "Ah, i don't know where i am and you yell that loud enough and suddenly you know where you're going i wish real life worked that way i would never need a gps rage is also incidentally your connection to luna and mm-hmm. the connection to this sense of 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 her light which is a guiding light within the world right so that is the metaphysical explanation for why your angriness helps you find yourself in places but it yes uh, <laughs> take take that gnosis i don't need you i got moon mom so we didn't talk about the abyss but the abyss is fantastic i just want to note that all of these realms in one way or another i think are actually really interesting but there could be a single episode about each of these realms and i don't want to force terry to do that nor do i want each of you listeners to listen to us prattle on about every single one of these necessarily but they are really good that said terry do you have a quick list of each of them Okay, we, we we have the potential of talking about the Abyss, the Ethereum Realm, the Arcadian Gateway, the Atrocity Realm. That's for the begin with an A. Uh, at this current pace, this is going to be long. And then we get the Battleground, then Cyber Realm, then Erebus. Take that, the letter D. And then the Flux Realm, the Legendary Realm, Malpheus, Pangea, Scar, Summer Country, and Wolfholm. Um, yeah. Which is great. So there's a lot here. There's a lot in this chapter. There are interesting things in each that I recommend storytellers dig into. I have one note that is not about the content of the particular realms. And that is weirdly the font changes size in Malpheus. It goes from probably like 11 to like nine all of a sudden, because I think they had two pages to do Malpheus in, and they already had the books of the worm that they were like, hey, if you want to know about Malpheus, go read that. But we still need to try and fit all of this into this two-page spread that we were given in our outline. Intriguing way of doing it by making it smaller, but it is very obvious that it is a different type of font. Not the end of the world, just something to know. And it's also weird because Pangea gets four pages out of nowhere where it's like, nope, we need more space for dinosaurs. Get them in there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And uh, it's fine. But thoughts? The the realms to me were kind of split up into the 
there's something you have to do here. There's something you want to get here. And there's something that pulled you here. Yeah. Like Malpheus, you'd be like, oh, it's Malpheus. We could take a run at the worm there. And it's like, heck no, don't be a, a sweet pea, you little cinnamon bun. No, this is not how this war is raged. Uh, and the number of sections that had the list of, hey, why you could go here, um, like half of them started with like a septmate is kidnapped. And you're like, uh, how many prison breaks are we going to do? Yeah. I don't think it gave enough reasons to go to places. Um, I did like the fact that a bunch of realms are emotional. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think one of the most fascinating ones, is the atrocity realm, it is the psychic residue of all brut brutality. It is made of mass graves and biting flies. It is less a realm than a tableau. It's not real, even spiritually. The idea is you can visit your own atrocities. You can see your own death. The only two ways to escape are to die um, or to kill and both of those reveal something fascinating about your character. And I wish it had a little bit more on how those choices would follow a character around. That's one of those things where when a storyteller does an either or for a character, there when there's no right answer, when you can't win, I think that to me is partially what defines our characters and how we play them. And I would have liked a little bit more that focuses on that. And even within that, they're like, this is, this is a realm of psychic tableau. But there's also Incarna that harvests energy here and it's swarming with Bane. So I'm like, okay, we even have a way of shoving that into into here. Ugh, can't we just have can't we just have one? <laughs> this um, is not Mage the Ascension, Terry. That is yeah, all I'm going to say to you. There must be things the, that I can just kill and not feel bad it, about. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All of them are chaotic evil goblins. And and just the idea that the only way to leave is to to die or be ejected. And I wish there were more of those. Like if you fall into the abyss, you're just gone. Yeah. I wish there were another, there were a emotional way of falling into the abyss where you learn something about your character. And and probably the apex of this is Erebus, the, the realm of silver and ebon caves where you're purified by Charis, where it goes back and forth as to whether or not this is a punishment versus this is like kind of a monastic personal cleansing, which is kind of <laughs> pick one. Yeah. Um, so about Erebus, if you would like to hear a really good description of how Erebus works in play, a bunch of gamers has a lovely episode about or several episodes where the pack, because they're, well, anyway, the pack ends up in Erebus intentionally where they need to get cleansed. And I think Keegan does a really great job of kind of describing the realm and, and going through it with the character's journey through their, um, I don't know if any of them actually accept their, you know, problems, but <laughs> in theory they do. Um, but the thing that Terry mentioned that I think is really key and useful in each of these is there is a story possibilities or story hooks section in each of them. And then there's a bit that talks about actual laws of the realm that always apply and then optional ones that you as a storyteller can apply to them. This gives you so many opportunities to customize the story reasons for getting to different places. Um, and I think that's great. Um, there are effectively weaver, wild, and worm spaces as well that we sort of uh, talk about, as well as the conceptual similarities between spaces. The weaver worm ones all tend to be weaver worm ones, as opposed to like one being absolutely 100% the weaver's realm, though the cyber realm is definitely like more weaverish than it is worm 
the worm is moving into those spaces. They bleed into each other throughout this like section. And I really like the opportunity to use that as a travel mechanism between them. If you wanted to just run an umbral story where you're going from realm to realm, you could do that because they bleed into each other. But I think this is such essential storyteller material that I'm going to say go and read it rather than us talk too much more about it. Mm -hmm. But I think there are really good reasons for you to look into this. Um, particularly for me, Cyber Realm, Abyss, Wolfholm, I would just say are all near the top of the list for ones I would say go and read that section at least. Um, but you could do well by reading all of them. So Terry, last thoughts before I move on to our next chapter. As you may mention, some of them have some pretty fascinating rules. Like in Pangea, there is no lupus form. Mm-hmm. I guess the presumption is like wolves hadn't evolved yet. <laughs> they weren't a thing. You don't, you don't get that people hadn't, but let's not dwell on that. Um, I, I did like some of the commentary of how realms were bleeding into each other, like how scar was kind of losing out to the cyber realm Yeah, where it's like, Oh, you want to post industrial hellscape. Um, <laughs> we'll give you one, I guess, uh, scar by definition is a industrial hellscape. Um, the, the, definitions i i don't know how you use wolf home in practice i don't I do, know how yeah. I, so, it's like it's a really cool idea to read a short story about right because at the table it's like yeah you're a dog you can't use words we're playing a game at a table we have to use words i mean unless you're going to do bark noises and hand signals which is fine for 10 minutes <laughs> unless right. everyone is is super on board so let's um, describe wolf home real quick so yeah. wolf home is a place where you as Garu go there and end up in your breed form and then cannot communicate as Garu any longer. You can only communicate as a wolf and you are effectively also, your mental capacity is limited to that of a wolf and your ability to understand the things around you is limited to that of a wolf. And you are effectively tortured miserably as a wolf in one form or another as you travel around this place. And if you happen to be a pharaoh that is not a wolf, you also get stuck in your breed, your uh, your animal form, and are horribly tortured in one form or another. Um, I, it, it pursued and the world is very much against you. It right. isn't... Uh, it isn't always the case that you are uh, no, you be. taken into a research facility, but yes, but you, you are be. at minimum, you are at minimum on the run mm -hmm. or you are a turncoat. Right. Um, which like reading the sections where it's like uh, more dog-like lupus can pass. And I'm like, that's an allegory. I don't know how I feel about that. Mm, next page. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I did like one of the things that it did was it tried to give kind of an integrated view of the cosmos that may or may not be real. Like it talked about how the output of Scar may literally be the gauntlet. Yeah. And frequently the realms have their own tools of undoing. Um, the, the fact that in, in scar that you are in this vast industrial, uh, waste that is sapping the spiritual energy periodically, this will literally cause fires from this agglomeration of gnosis. This is being pulled out of the, out of the workers. That was pretty fascinating. And none of these are like, none of these are like the Planescape D and D higher planes. Mm -hmm. None of them are strictly good. There is no place where you can just go and recharge 
really um it really points the arrows back at earth if you want a place of rest and recovery which to me is kind of fascinating for a game where it's like we are spirits this is our true home yet yeah. there is no place that will have us without reservation um and, and that to me was uh kind of interesting except even, for i guess the tribal homelands but um, yeah but even the tribal homelands in the legendary realm it's really nearly impossible to get to the legendary realm and the tribal homelands are really hard to get to. And mm -hmm. if you're not that tribe, you can't go to them. So as a pack, mm -hmm. if, unless you're all Black Furies, you're not going to the Black Fury homeland. It's definitely a situation where you are right that Earth is home. Gaia is home. The Umbra sh should be a way of reminding the characters that this is not the better place to mm -hmm. be. And it's also, you talk about how the Weaver, Wild, and Worm are infecting the realms and mostly the Weaver and the Worm. That, to me, was also an interesting thing about how, for lack of a better term, overriding worldviews can destroy everything else. Yep. Uh, for for I, I don't know of a better way to phrase that, but to be like, no, the Weaver and the Worm ruin everything. <laughs> if there's too much of them and they are meddling in an ancient archetype, it just breaks everything. There is no place safe. It has this very revised creeping feel to it, um, which I think is interesting. I also appreciated the description of Spider City having the sky that was the color of a TV tuned to a dead channel in reference to the opening line of Neuromancer by William Gibson. Absolutely. Um, and also, the wild has places where it is clearly infecting other things as well. This book reminds you that the wild is not your friend. Doesn't do so enough in my mind, but it does so enough that you get it if you're paying attention. What do you think about Elder Serpent in Pangea? It is a really interesting choice to have this just random like dragon kind of like in control of everything. And what does that mean? Uh, I like the idea of it being the balance worm, mm -hmm. like the remnants of of its memory, maybe like living in this place and going, I'm trying to do this thing. I also love the possibility that it's an exalted tie-in. Mm -hmm. oh, that okay. like, maybe it is, I don't even know what it would be, a, a dragon king that is, uh, you know. Dragon king, serpent greatest of the lunars, sure. something like that. Okay, Some yeah. sort of thing like that. This book in particular, I really feel like has lots of ways to tie in Exalted to it if you wanted to do that. You could even do like a mirror realm where you end up in, in Exalted or something like that. Like there's lots mm -hmm. of opportunities here for that, which I think would be good. Let's move on to chapter three um, because chapter three is one, two is wonderful and you should all read it. Uh, I've said that before. I will say it again. Chapter three is spirits. And I'm like, okay, fine. This is actually a really good chapter, but I don't feel like I have a ton to say on it. I know Terry probably could have a ton to say on it, but I think what it does is it provides you the basic rundown of how spirits work, how chiminage works and the spirit, spirit relationships, the packs that you can build, the totem relationships you can build. It talks about the positive and the consequences of those things in a way that I think no other book that I have read for Werewolf does. I'm not even sure that W20 Umbra does this as well, where it talks about these are the different implications of your relationships with the spirits. And then it gives you the hierarchy and stats for a bunch of different various spirits that exist in the various realms that have been talked about related to the different um, tribal patrons and their courts, as it were. 
I think all in all, this is super useful for a storyteller to have this material. I don't want to get bogged down into it other than just to say, I think it doesn't have enough spirits of the wild. That is the only thing it's missing. It gives us two and then one that's actually a Bane that used to be a, a wild spirit. And I'm like, either the wild has spirits and I, you're going to give me things on them. But then, of course, there's an entire book on the wild. So if you need that stuff, go grab that book. But it that's the only thing it doesn't do enough of here. I like the fact that it gives the range of relationships that a Garu uh, can have with spirits where they could have form a personal pact. They could form a pact to create a fetish that you could have a pact totem that you have Karn and Sept totems. It specifically mentions that some things are beyond chiminage that you can't just ask someone nicely and that there are entities that even attempting to engage that with them, they'll be like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> How dare you uh, think I would deign to do that? That the idea that, like, for instance, when with a tribal totem being like incarnate that provide access to homelands and gifts, it is always a relationship of supplication. Mm -hmm. It is strictly you laying yourself out um, and saying, I do this for the glory of you and, and so on. And just that um, that notion of submission is not something we get in a lot of games when you are punk and defiant the weird punk angle here is in the same way that mage to me is punk because it has hope this is punk here because no these are these cases where we recognize one's place and and you lay yourself prostrate um before your incarna for uh for judgment absolution and um and benefice uh the thing i liked is it kind of reminded you of if you wrong a spirit this is the hierarchy of how they'll get back with get back at you right um and that seems real useful in a game where keeping track of those long-term relationships is kind of important to be like okay uh you killed the gaffling no one noticed uh the jaggling that was looking after it is now annoyed recognizes it doesn't have enough power talk to its broodmate who are all under the same incarna and suddenly your cairn spirit is annoyed at you we get no commentary on Celestines, which I appreciate because Josh and I did an episode on Mates the Podcast on it. We were worried that there was something we missed, but here there isn't. That's nice. Yeah, we get the the only thing that leapt out at me was the way the Pegasus spirit was done. It indicated that it had dicked down with Belefer, uh Belafon. Bella, Bella, oh my word. I usually can say that. Bellerophon? Bellerophon. Yes. Maybe. Um Bellerophon? Bellerophon. Um and I also like that the stag shoots fire and teaches no gifts that the saber tooth was the first predator to understand its role and then immediately went in extinct. Stay in school, kids. The night spirits are not evil, but have a different weird sense of humor that Al visits from the dark Umbra. And it gives no indications that the dark Umbra has gafflings, jagglings, which I liked. Uh, Patchwork spirit was super interesting. Um, and it just had this werewolf big energy of don't make me come back there if you don't get along with other members of your... Your, uh, of your pack i did not realize the relationship between the creature that gave the name to correct um between that and sasquatch and it has this real chris Gaines garth brooks energy to it which i liked <laughs> it does, um yes. <laughs> i like the description of natural phenomenon and the matter of factness where it's like oak spirits tend to like garu i'm like well of course they would what why <laughs> give me any information um about how some elements d feel that plastic elementals and uh met uh, are just uh earth elementals who who spent a semester abroad and i i like that i also like the moon shadows as a kind of dark guardian angel it's a fun section to um to thumb through i wish it had either more or less 
Yeah. I wish it either had a paragraph describing the class with a sample stat block, or it gave me a bunch more maybe that shared stat blocks. An entire book of spirits would be really good. There are a couple of small books of spirits on the Storyteller's Vault, but if someone wanted to go and make a full, like, here is a hundred page book of spirits and stats and concepts, I would be all about that. That effectively covers that chapter. The last chapter in this is our storytelling chapter. Look, if you're reading this book and you need a full chapter on storytelling in the Umbra, you've got it here. But I honestly think if you're reading this book, you already have an idea of how to run stories based on all the material you've been provided prior to this chapter. This chapter is fine. It is a decent storytelling chapter, but I read it and I kept going. I already think you told me this prior in much more flavorful and interesting ways about how to do this in the individual realms. So it's good. It's got its own specific greater story seeds and umbral chronicle ideas here. Overall, take it or leave it if you need to, but it is a chapter that exists in this book. I'm not going to say it's bad. I just, I don't necessarily think you need it. I think it pointed out how difficult the Umbra was and what it didn't say. So it wants it to be weird, riddle-filled, and using dream sequences. And like, if you're going to do that, give me a whole bunch of examples. This right. is a case where I really need bulleted lists to get that weird because I feel I am pretty good at coming up with a surreal description pretty quickly. Weird, I find a little bit hard. There's a reason I love Invisible Sun. Take a drink. But to just say that and then not give me a bunch, it's like every trip to the Umbra should be special. I'm like, if everything is special, then nothing is special, kind of. Right. Like, I don't... There's a lot of arrows pointing away from the Umbra because it is dangerous. And one of the major reasons to go there is because someone was abducted and we don't have a lot of positive things that you can get out of it that are not uh, dangerous and riddle filled. The other problem I often have with the Umbra is in a normal game, one of the implied vocabularies we have is what level of danger am I in? Mm -hmm. um, in a regular game of werewolf, you have a lot of clues to indicate when violence may occur and when you could be walking into a trap and when harm may occur. In the Umbra, those things go out the window. So if you want to avoid a game where people are throwing sticks through doors the entire time because they're not sure because it's the Umbra and at any moment this could turn, turn into the Tomb of Horrors, I would have liked more atmospheric recommendations on that to prevent things like that from happening. I feel one of the unstated things in games is how to transmit to the players the times when they need to be very specific with what they do with times where they can get away with being vague because the stakes aren't necessarily high. Um, and that to me is exceedingly difficult to do with the Umbra. That's um, fair. That yeah. may be one of my hangups, especially because I'm used to mage where characters are quite squishy. Yeah. I think that's fair. That's definitely an interesting point on a couple of uh, of layers there. I think overall, I've put out, uh, I don't know if I've done a story hook episode in a long time. I think what would be fun to do, and I'm, I'm saying this is a maybe um, on air, that maybe a story hook um, episode uh, specifically about the Umbra would be fun to do. Um, so I may come back and do that at some point. But that leads us into the appendix where... There is a great gift right on the first page of this appendix called Parting the Velvet Curtain. Up until this point, there have been no gifts that allow you to bring a group of people into the Umbra, right? You can do this with any sort of creatures you want to. Kinfolk, other shapeshifters, 
vampires, if you, for some weird reason, have a desire to bring a bunch of leeches into the Umbra, you could do that with this gift. And it's only a level three gift. I think that's great. I think it might be a little overpowered based on the level of other gifts and what they do in this game. But I think it is a super fun, flavorful gift that should probably only be in this book for a player that's like digging into it and going, oh, can I have this, please? I've, you've read this whole book. I will let you have this one gift that you found because you did the, the you did the work to get it. Yeah, the difficulty gets a little bit high for me because it's the gauntlet rating plus the number of entities you're bringing in if you can bring eight. And this book has a real fondness for difficulty 10. Yes, there's lots of difficulty I 10 things. Like, is there a mechanism in Werewolf that just like lets you get more automatic successes or reduce difficulty or reroll dice? Is there like a secret use for Rager Gnosis that I don't know of? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like equal rand. What if success and botching were equally likely? This surely will make for an interesting game, but failure will be the most common result. Right. Uh, yeah. I guess it's presuming that you're going to be spending a lot of willpower to just kind of tilt the table a little bit. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah um, probably <laughs> and yeah. That, that is a thing like it actually makes some sense if you think about the umbra as will personified or memory mm -hmm. personified or thought personified and the idea of having to spend your willpower to do what mages do and effectively command the umbral space around you to exist in a specific way mm -hmm. i i think that tracks mm-hmm I do like the gift that's before it of sense wild yes. where it's like, um, you see that creature that is an amalgamation of wacky inflatable flailing arm tube men where each of its arms is spewing cotton candy and it's quoting Proust. Yeah. That's from the wild. You don't say like <laughs> in, ter in terms of aspects of the uh, triad capable of playing the long game. I think wild is really low on that. <laughs> that's fair. I think it's supposed to be first more subtle uh catching of the wild's influence or the yep. weaver's influence because there's the also Zima a sense of the wild yes yeah. but that said fair and yeah. i think why very few characters ever take sense wild it's yeah. generally not a super useful gift like you see those, those robot reasons. spiders playing human chess yeah you detect the weaver no <laughs> <Right>. like really <laughs> never expected that yep it also provides a bunch of good rights in here. Uh, the one that I will call out is Descent into the Dark Umbra, which mm -hmm. allows you to go into the Dark Umbra. One of my favorite albums. Anyway. <laughs> it's only a level three right also. So guess what? If you're a silent strider and you don't have this right, I don't know what you're doing. How are you even playing your character correctly? Um, it's just... It's it's super flavorful. It super fits the the groups that should have it, and uh, I like it. the The right of homecoming to me is kind of extra because there's a bunch of like get out of jail free mm -hmm. rights, which like I know I know rights ain't instant, but except for the right of homecoming, that's like you travel instantly. It's like okay, it spent a lot of space saying it's really hard to get from here to there instantly without like Gaia being your biffle. And then it's like, here, it's one of the cases where I don't feel like um, the gifts and rights and the descriptions in the section all pointed in the same directions. Sure. Um, it is it is possible to build a character that is an umbral teleporter 
that obviates a lot of the perils unless you're like, oh, your right and gift don't work here. Uh, mind you, it does recommend the characters that are not in the appropriate mindset may lose access to their ability to move around because the umber will punish people that aren't sufficiently reverential towards it. Sure. Um, but the fact that you could be like, I'm going to go from Malpheus to ancient Greece, peach out because you have this like level three, um, right. right. Seems Which level three rights are really easy to get because you don't have to spend the same type of experience points that you would on say a gift or something like that mm -hmm. to get a right. You do have to do a lot of role-playing to get them in theory, you know, but, um, there is a lot of, my characters in my world of rage game all have like 10, 15 rights now because they're like, Oh, we, we can, you know, just learn rights from all these cool people we're meeting. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Maybe I need to like put a kibosh on this eventually. Mm. But I think this chap, this appendix is good for the various like little bits and pieces and tools, including some antagonist stats that you, I, I don't think they knew where to put them otherwise and it's like okay here you slap them at the end here i would have put nightmaster stats in the abyss section yep. because i wouldn't necessarily think to look when i'm reviewing this later for his stats in the appendix i would look for them in the abyss and then be like where are they why am i not finding them yeah or at least include a thing in the nightmaster area that is like a little call to be like stats on page blah blah right on page <laughs> xx <laughs> references are cheap um, right. So does that bring us to our overall thoughts? That brings us to our overall thoughts. Um, if, I don't even know, um, let's see, out of 10 umbral clouds, how many umbral clouds would you give this book? Also, I am a decent person, so I refuse to give anything a seven. Okay. I think that that is a pick aside. There's, there's a war on. Um, given the page count, given the word count, this is, this is easily an eight. It's it's got everything. It is absolutely flush with ideas. I thought it was a little bit thin on reasons to go to places. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't paint me a sufficient sense of place. In a lot of cases, I would have preferred a much more fleshed out single location, like give me information about one factory in the scar. And from those details, I can build out by implication what the docks look like, what the warehouses look like, what the so on and so forth look like. Give me one building in the cyber realm in high detail. And based on that, I can be like, well, this is what it would look like in Old Town. This is what it would look like in the pit. This is what it would look like in Uptown. Um, that is just kind of a personal preference. I would like it to be a little bit more uh, dripping with detail. There weren't a lot of like werewolves in here listed. No, there aren't yeah. a lot of werewolves in here. And that is, I think, an interesting choice, right? There are two in the appendix. Mm -hmm. And one of them is like a, a master of the Umbra who has been everywhere, according to her, you know, uh, information. But it is an interesting thing to note that when you go into the umber, you're probably not going to run into the other any other Garu. Why? What does that mean? It, it is also one of those things where I am always worried about books like this because I would need help as a storyteller coming up with reasons why the pack goes. It's easy to come up with a reason why a werewolf goes, why an individual mm -hmm. person needs to go to resolve something, but like you have moral stink on your hands. That doesn't mean we all have to go to Erebus or it does. And now we need a good reason to do that. And games, I think frequently struggle 
weaving those together. And that to me is almost what a storyteller section for something like that is, how to arrange the coincidences and networks of needs that get an entire pack to do to participate in something that otherwise is kind of designed for a single person. And if this is mostly for one-on-one -on -one sessions as a character uh, does a particular quest is given to them by their totem or is trying to deal with emotional baggage, then suddenly the storyteller section needs to be geared towards that. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of the things preventing it from, from being higher. It does make reference to other books where it's like, hey, if you want more information, uh, go here. And it does it. Um, it does it gracefully. I like the fact that it separates the different penumbrae into three different places as opposed to it being three different views on one place as Mage does. Um, I, that is just a personal preference for me. How do you rate it? So this is going to shock everybody. I am going to give this a 10 clouds out of 10. Wait, that with, would imply that you like something in Werewolf, John. Yes, exactly. I, it, I, I really I need to like see if book. I rearrange the letters, if it spells Hengioka. <laughs> anagram. Um, I only have one caveat to this perfect score for this book. It does have a few things that I would consider offensive, but there are so few... That it was almost, I almost said, hey, there's nothing in here that bothers me on that level. There is a section in the atrocity realm about the Dark Kingdom of Wire and its connection to the Charnel Houses of Europe book that I'm not quite cool with the way they did it. It, I just don't think it works. Uh, and it kind of bothered me. But that's it. Right. And for a, white wolf book to basically be free of things that in 2022 i find problematic is pretty darn impressive and i am really impressed overall with the quality of the writing and the opportunities and story hooks that this book provides um i that i'm going to give it a perfect score and say every storyteller should go out and, and grab this um even if you're running w20 you should have this particular Umber book. Nice. I had two quotes that I particularly liked. May I share those? Please. One, again, as host of Mage the Podcast, magethepodcast.com, discord.me slash magethepodcast. Um, the first quote is, Book of Worlds, while heavily rooted in mage cosmology, expect contradictions with the way things work in Werewolf, may provide some ideas for stories that range significantly further afield. Like that, I felt seen. Mm -hmm. The other one was the description of the ancestral uh, lands for the Bonars. Here, dumpsters overflow with fattening edible junk. Cheap restaurants are open all night. The pitchers are $1. If that, the strippers are easy, and you can find a quarter or a place to sleep just by looking down. Um, that that had big, big, big rock candy mountain energy to it. <laughs> yes. And I, I like that. I was waiting for uh, like some information on like creating your own banjo from scrap to be there. And I'm like, oh, man, this is the, the werewolf game I never knew I wanted to play. Awesome. So until we get a answer to the question of when will you rage, I will talk to you again next time.